0: You are listening to Desperate Acts of Capitalism, a podcast about money, marketing, and how it all goes wrong. Join us in a wonderland of burning money. I'm Evan Swope. I'm Arman Maharaj. And I am C.T. Kelly. And today, we are here to introduce a new member of our cast. Who could it be? Ah. Everyone meet Arman. Hello, everyone. The new boy. (laughs) So... This episode is going to be Armand's proving ground. He's written a whole episode for us. Me and Evan will be sitting in the in the back row and judging him very harshly the entire time. Yes.
1: We're watching and listening closely, and we're not kind people. <laughs> we
2: have a big evil clipboard. I'm quaking in my long curly-toed boots. So, Armand, what do you have for us today? Well, today I have a justly forgotten company called acclaim entertainment now if you are someone who knows a lot about the lore of older video game companies you might have heard about this and if you're old enough you might even remember some of the insane things that they did both in their games and to get attention for their games but if not acclaim is a key example of the video game companies that we all grew up hating Okay. So I'll just, I'll just start us in right here. Wonderful. It's hard to pinpoint when people who played video games started hating video games companies so much. When I was growing up, names like EA, Ubisoft, and Activision were uttered the way an evangelical says Judas Iscariot, or how New Yorkers talk about New Jersey. <laughs> at best, these developers and publishers were often laughably incompetent, and at worst, guilty of butchering beloved franchises for obvious shameless cash grabs. If a Todd Howard had the rights to your favorite franchise and decided to optimize its monetization into the dirt, there's really nothing you could do about it. At the end of the day, game companies are beholden to their shareholders, and the prudent financial interests of working for those said shareholders more often than not turns your game into a burning mess at the end of the day.
0: Mm-hmm. A, a story we are all familiar with.
2: Yes, uh,
0: a story a lot of us are love
2: burning messes mm-hmm. painfully familiar with. So that's the story with most big game company disappointments. They start out with a good set of games, games that build loyal fan communities and encourage developers to turn those games into sequels before eventually turning them into a soulless, hyper-monetized mess.
0: Uh, a financial instrument rather than an entertainment product. Exactly, exactly. There are, however, those few game
2: companies that are garbage snowballs. <laughs> They pump out garbage at such a rate that at least for a time, they can ride the momentum until they somehow end up dominating vast swaths of market share. Acclaim Entertainment was one such garbage snowball. (laughs) So throughout its early career, Acclaim would ride a tide of licensed ports, TV show adaptations, and general shovelware to a point where the company was making well over $500 per year.
0: What what year was this? Like, what year were they this founded? This was
2: like okay, so they, they were founded in 1987. We'll get into that. But okay, okay, this was like uh, if you know about the Mortal Kombat NES and home ports, they oh. made those. Yeah. Oh, okay. This is okay. To be clear, they're a publisher, not a developer. Yeah, yeah. For yeah. most of their games, for most of their games, we'll get into why that is, why they don't like developing.
1: Can you define what shovelware is?
2: Okay, yeah, good question. Shovelware—it's just a general term for easy to pump out, um, very simplistic video games. Like if you ever go, if you remember going to like Costco and getting the really cheap, like Wii sp- wee games, where it's something like, yeah, uh, Hang Glider twenty k or whatever. They
0: have like, names like that. You know, like know that, how, you know? yeah, you know how every like every shitty like kids tie-in animation movie had like a tie-in game. Like, you could go to GameStop and get the, like, the nut job tie-in Wii video game for, like, $8.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it usually refers to, like, things that are easily, IPs that are easily bought and then someone makes something with them. Like, South Park video games or Simpsons video games or whatever. Things
0: that can be literally, like, shoveled into the market as fast as possible.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Right, like cheaply made, and they
1: know like a certain amount of people are going to buy it just by default, because they recognize the character or whatever. The
0: Adam Sandler movie of video games.
2: Yeah, exactly. God. So they were making, at their height, well over $500 a year, which is like very respectable. They were never at the top, but they did get to a point where they were acknowledged as one of the titans. As the video game market became increasingly competitive, and consumers got tired of their phoned in releases the company's executives would start to flounder and in their floundering they would make a series of bizarre offensive and frankly nearly incomprehensible business decisions in a desperate attempt to make acclaim entertainment profitable okay a desperate act of capitalism indeed (laughs) you could even say it is a desperate 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 act of capitalism it's like one of those desperate acts of capitalisms in here (laughs) And in the process, they would earn the ire of the British government, the Anglican Church. What? Various sporting authorities. So specific. And nearly all of its celebrity partners, its shareholders, and finally its fans. Wow. That's a wide range. The Anglican Church. The Anglican Church. And this is just to name a few. They made a lot of people angry. So, at base... The claim is not radically different. Let me make this clear. It is not radically different from other video game companies. In some ways, this is a story of an exemplar of the trash pile that is the video game industry. Its, its history represents the apex of a particular strain of cynical quote-unquote disruption, as finance bros would say. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs>
0: Good old disruption.
2: <laughs> this, plus a damage assessment apparatus hell-bent on reinforcing its outrageous failures.
0: Fascinating. Okay.
2: Yeah. So, we will start off by looking at the big picture of a claims rise and fall, almost in a iceberg format. Mm-hmm. We'll see the mm-hmm. the broad strokes of how it got successful and how it shot itself 32 times in the foot, reloaded and shot itself again. Yay! <laughs> then we will peel away the income statements to take a closer look at the company's most prominent failures
0: yay yay yay, uh, yay, uh-huh. yay everyone get your orange juice get your pop-tarts sit down it's gonna be a wild ride Woo! Ah! okay so st-
2: let's start with the beginning acclaims founders greg Fishbach, robert holmes and jim skorapowski i think i'm saying that right all met while working at activision in the
0: 1980s okay okay back when activision was cool
2: it, it was it was cool it would later become extremely reviled but that's a different yes. story the trio founded Acclaim Entertainment in Oyster Bay, New York in 1987 as a video game publisher, again, not a developer. In other words, they did not make their own games, instead letting other studios do the work as they published and distributed the final product. They found the video games inside of the oysters. Yes, <laughs> they cracked them open, they found the games. So Acclaim, as a name, was picked because it was alphabetically ahead of their former company's name, Activision. This oh was God. actually a common practice for publishers and developers leaving Activision, and a formula that a <laughs> formula that Activision itself followed when it left Atari. So Activision it comes obviously before Atari. Right. Acclaim was also chosen because it preceded Accolade, another company founded by developers leaving <laughs> Activision. This is literally something that like still happens. There's so much beef. So stupid. It's it's
0: really it's really dumb. It's like so far you can go, like in the alphabet. Yeah, right. Eventually, <laughs> gonna... someone's gonna name themselves Aardvark Entertainment, or A, uh, or A, uh, oh. or Aardvark, Triple A Ardvark. <laughs> just keep
2: adding A's to Ardvark. <laughs> when Acclaim it did start developing its own games. It did so by licensing recognizable media titles and franchises like The Simpsons, Back to the Future, the WWF, etc. So taking advantage of the acquired brand value that they got, uh, the fledgling acclaim saw some early commercial success. They also jumped at the opportunity to port successful arcade games for home release. Ah, uh, yes. The most notable example being the Mortal Kombat series, which sold very well, mm. as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. The publisher also had some success taking charge of American releases for successful Japanese game titles, such as the side-scrolling
0: beat-em-up Double Dragon. Oh, okay. The Double Dragon series. That was a like that was a huge business back in like the late 80s and the 90s. It was just like mm-hmm. Being the guy who would go to Japan and then port games over to America, and not yeah. working for Nintendo, like that, there's a lot of money in that, and it sold well, and it was
2: popular and exotic and interesting.
0: So far, it seems like a pretty like solid
1: business model, like nothing crazy, but like you know, yes. smart, consistent.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's if anything, that's like much smarter than trying to be the next Nintendo or the next Capcom or whatever. Right. Yeah,
2: you gotta give it to them. It was not. It, it was in a way soulless because they're not. They don't really care about the games they're making, but it's prudent and it it works.
0: Right. And it gets video games into people's houses.
2: Yes. So by the mid-90s, Acclaim could easily be recognized as one of the most successful video game companies in the world. Their game Rise of the Robots in 1994 was actually the first video game to use motion capture, which before then was only like, Mm. it was really mostly a cinema thing. Right. So it, here they were pioneering new technologies for video games. Uh, Acclaim even started creating comics, or rather they bought a comic company, and then they used it to create publicity for their existing franchises. Oh, yeah. Merchandising. They did early like, strategy guide uh, publications to, again, oh. like, hype, hype up oh. their, their products. Nice. So the plucky renegades at Acclaim would not enjoy their success for too long. Oh, Their company seemed headed for a nosedive, starting by the mid-late
0: 90s. Oh man, what happened? I forgot what podcast we're on. (laughs) Everything went fine. Bad (laughs) job, (laughs) Armand.
2: God damn it! Another success. Should have read the rest of the wiki article. So they had flagging sales figures for most of their major releases. The publisher's earnings would truly plummet after a sudden leg sweep from an unexpected place, the World Wrestling Federation.
0: Oh, shit. Oh, yeah, the WWF are infamous for pulling weird financial chicanery.
2: Yes. Just reading tangentially about the WWF, an absurdly corrupt institution.
0: Oh, yeah, and And ridiculously (laughs) abusive. Like, Vince McMahon is kind of a monster. He's a
2: horrible person. The late 90s saw a boom in video games related to extreme sports of all kinds, and wrestling games in particular were immensely popular. Yes. Giving players the chance to take control of their favorite wrestlers and feel the satisfaction of landing a good finishing move. You know, that's the kind of thing that little kids in the 90s
0: dream about. I need to hurt Rowdy Roddy Piper yes. right now. I need to hurt his digital yeah. avatar right <laughs> now. Please, I'm 10.
2: WWF WrestleMania was the first WWF game ever ever to be released for home consoles and it sold incredibly well oh yeah acclaim saw they saw their high sales figures as a sign that customers loved the game they did not uh, they really really hated a common it. mistake they really hated it <laughs> demand for a wwf game any wwf game was astronomical at the time that wrestlemania was released so when it hit the shelves, people bought it no matter how bad it was because they wanted a wrestling game of any
0: kind. And I can right. I can see fucking Vince McMahon sitting in his office and smelling those sales smelling, figures. Like, <laughs> smelling the cash snacks. Vince hungry. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a
2: quote that I got uh, from a Sportsster article about what this game is like to play. Okay. The gameplay was average at best with each wrestler having the same five moves total. The wrestlers would basically slap each other until an energy-boosting item would appear, and the graphics looked horrendous, even for the 8-bit era, with equally annoying music.
0: Yes, yes, that's that good shovelware shit. I've seen footage
2: of this game played. It literally looks like they're slapping each other. It's so terrible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the
0: fucking, like, uh, like, uh, what console was this for?
2: Uh, NES, I believe the nes, yes, NES. Yeah. yeah
0: so that they have mitten hands at best
2: yeah yeah it's really terrible <laughs>
0: <laughs> not a lot of nuance in the the fighting no, moves it was no. really bad you just bludgeon people with your meat mittens until they their energy bar depletes
2: but guys those games are still really popular oh yeah they have not fallen in popularity that much like they're still like really entertaining to watch <laughs> Um, And they just dropped the ball so hard. Mm -hmm. Once gamers had digested the bitter disappointment of WrestleMania, they were less eager to buy subsequent lackluster releases, like Mm -hmm. WWF Raw and the eloquently titled WWF In Your
0: House. Man, it's a good thing that the video game industry learned their lesson from this. Yeah, good thing that this was the last time we see something like this happening. Oh man, we shoveled out a terrible product that destroyed our, <laughs> our consumers' confidence in the product that we're making. I know, what if we spend another $500 million making a sequel to it? Yeah, what if we do the exact same thing? <laughs> we add a spin
2: kick. But <laughs> We add a spin kick. In 1999, with the writing on the wall, WWF dropped a claim from the franchise's video game development. Aw. Desperate to cling onto the wrestling game cash cow, Acclaim signed a deal with Extreme Championship Wrestling. They barely managed to squeeze out two games for ECW, which were Hardcore Revolution and Anarchy Rules, <laughs> before ECW went bankrupt in 2001. It's While the most still new
0: metal-ass like game titles, yeah.
2: <laughs> why they still owed Acclaim money?
0: Oh, jeez! So, so they're playing debt catch-up n- now. Good.
2: Yeah. So now, not only are they making lukewarm games, but they are mired in someone else's debts.
0: How uh, do you know what their <laughs> do you know what their debt
2: ratio was at this point? Uh, I don't have that figure to hand, but it it was not good.
0: We will get into their finances. Uh, it's like being in debt for a corporation like this is like pretty normal. Like your your ratio of like your ratio of like uh, expenses to debt has to be within like a certain range though, or investors start getting really scared. However, usually it's your own debt, right? You're not like still trying to pay back another company because you broke a contract.
2: I'll I'll just, we'll get into the finances and that's near the bottom of this proverbial iceberg. Okay, okay. But I'll just say that by this point, the FEC has a weather eye on a claim.
0: The FEC is already looking at them?
2: Oh yeah, they've been looking at them. What did? Um, what the fuck did they do? <laughs> we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Oh I my hold god! Hold your horses, cowboy. The failure <laughs> of Acclaim's wrestling titles, its other floundering sports games, and the decline of the once successful Turok series were too much for the company to bear in the end.
0: Oh right, Turok. So
2: yeah, yeah. Oh right, Turok. That game. Uh, in 2004, a claim filed for Chapter 7 bankruptcy, collapsing under the weight of well over $100 million in debt. Damn. Though the company's downward slide was no secret, the bankruptcy came as a surprise to its almost 600 employees who were left jobless and unpaid without any warning. Something that is, by the way, very illegal.
0: Oh, yeah. And very common. And very common, yeah. Especially in uh, small-time game studios. 100%.
2: So, after some squabbling between the UK and the US branches, uh, that's something that I haven't mentioned yet. They had a UK branch. That was very strange. Uh So, after the squabbles between these two branches over IPs, intellectual properties, it was clear that a claim was tapping out for good. They weren't going to reform anytime soon. And when the former executive of Activision purchased the defunct operation, it was for a reported one hundred thousand dollars oh my god holy shit folks that is something that almost anyone could buy if that's not clear that is nothing (laughs) that is pocket change
0: it's literally cheaper than a house in california literally (laughs) it's cheaper than a down payment on a house in california
2: holy shit this franchise was worthless worthless so now we get to the segment called what's their problem (laughs) how did it go so wrong I don't know. Even universally hated companies like EA, which is voted, by the way, one of the top 20 most hated companies in America, according to USA Today, yep. more than the Weinstein <laughs> company, guys. Oh my God. <laughs> so even companies like EA can often find ways to scrape themselves together before actually going bankrupt. So what went wrong? The answer lies with a few key factors. The mindsets of its founders... The bro-slash-lad culture of Acclaim's execs. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, God. The PR department. And the wrong lessons learned from the company's early successes. Right. So the first principle that Acclaim brought to its business philosophy was to cut corners wherever possible. They would publish other developers' work or make a game with an already successful IP that they knew was going to do well Mm -hmm. or make a game in partnership with a successful athlete, or a celebrity. Take what already works and never gamble on originality. Mm -hmm. So here's a quote from a FanBite article. One of the most interesting and telling facts about their start is that they built themselves on factoring a risky retailer tactic which set up third parties to buy the accounts receivable for their games up front at a discount, and then when they successfully sold the games... Those third parties were paid directly, a volume game that depended on curb appeal and recognizable IP to snag speedy sales without building much brand loyalty. So to jump in here, that means like not a lot of people are paying attention to the acclaimed name, even though they are selling well.
1: Right, right, right. They don't have, like, a solid foundation. They just have these basically, like, get-rich-quick schemes. Exactly. And they are counting on it to last forever. Yeah. It's, like, an incredibly shaky yes. foundation. Well,
0: and especially in the 90s when it's, like, there there weren't these... The modern game industry is actually really held up by things like pre-orders and digital releases, which are way less risky to release. Yes. Back when you had to, like, make physical games with physical cartridges and shit, that was much, like the the risk of ordering too many cartridges than you can sell was very very common yes and Mm -hmm. it could that could make a break make or break a publishing company
2: yes you're absolutely right i'm glad you brought that up because this was a time when game companies were publishing like a game a month oh yeah at least you know so and each one of these things could be risky and that would play a role in the popularity of these PR studies. But back to the fanbite article. In 1990, with a few hits under their belt, thanks to ports like Star Voyager, Wizards and Warriors, and Double Dragon 2, Acclaim was up there next to Activision and EA as one of the top games publishers in the world. So they, they were clearly, they were doing some risky financial policies some risky risky financial decisions Mm -hmm. next to an already corner-cutting philosophy and factoring if you're not familiar with it it's something that isn't illegal in itself but really frowned upon Hmm. because it's not very honest and it's often used to make your shareholders think you're doing better than you are because you say look we're selling this many copies of this game we're clearly doing well but what the shareholders don't see is that Only a few months later, those stores will probably hand you back like thousands and thousands of unbought games. How
0: interesting. I wonder why they're doing that, Armand. Yeah, I
2: wonder why why the FEC might be interested in this.
1: Hmm. (laughs) Uh,
2: The second principle that Acclaim took from its early successes was that for a video game company, all press was good press. (laughs) Now, Acclaim was publishing during the dawn of the violent video game.
0: Ah, Some of its
2: games... Such as the controversial arcade game Narc. Have you guys heard of this?
0: Oh my god, yes! Yeah. CT, you wanna tell us about Narc? Um, I okay, okay. You probably have a whole spiel about this, but I remember Narc, it was an anti drug game mm-hmm. funded by the US government, like as like a, a don't do drugs type thing. And it is one of the most insanely violent things that was put in homes, like yeah in the, on the like, video game market now. for the time. <laughs> Even now, I'm like, kids are doing this? <laughs> yeah, it, it was, like, disturbing in a way that a lot of video... Like, even the most violent, like, hack and slashes were It weren't. wasn't just
2: violent. It was kind of cruel, the way that you would kill people.
0: Yeah, it's like... The, the fucking God of War game was... Uh, games were famous for being super super gory but in a sense Cartoon-y. where it's like oh fuck yeah this is badass it's a revenge story and i'm beating the fuck out of people that like deserve it and i'm a i'm a badass overcoming obstacles but narc is like a cruelty simulator truly it's like go go out and hurt people for fun
2: and to the point where even propagandists are like this is a little far
0: <laughs> yeah it was <laughs> intense
2: so games like narc were the first, and NARC is claimed to be the first, so this is highly contested. Uh, there were some of the first games to depict blood spraying from enemies that the player c- character kills. That's,
0: like, definitely it not can't true. can't be true. The Mortal Kombat games had blood I'm not that. sure which
2: one of them came first, but, I mean, around the same time as Mortal Kombat, at least for home release. Hmm. But Acclaim's Mortal Kombat series was even discussed during an official inquest in the halls of Congress, yeah. an institution infamously rife with gamers. So they got some good press for that.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Wasn't it Tipper Gore?
2: Uh, it, it was probably Tipper Gore. I think she was an activist, not a congresswoman. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, sure. yeah. But she was uh, leading the charge for things like that.
0: Don't, don't quote um, me on that. Don't quote me on that.
2: Yeah, okay. But yeah, have you ever seen the bags under Lindsey Graham's eyes? You know, that guy's playing <laughs> that a lot. That boy's gaming. He's playing a, a lot of Overwatch.
1: <laughs> that guy knows video games he does <laughs> famous
0: tracer main <laughs> so <laughs> yeah Lindsey Graham
2: Lindsey Graham he's, uh, he's just uh, addicted to tracer porn <laughs> uh, put that on record please yeah no it, it's not true <laughs> we know we know he's he's not attracted to you know anyway um, Acclaim so basically Acclaim saw their game being discussed in congress and they're like Wow, we are at the center of the national conversation. We need to keep making games like this. No matter right. how, no matter how bad it is, we're getting great sales figures from Mortal Kombat. Their best their most controversial titles were some of their best selling ones. And so the company erroneously drew the conclusion that if there was enough controversy around a game, consumers would part with their hard-earned money. Just to see what all the fuss was about.
0: That, that works like up to a point where you have to be like, right. mm-hmm. you have to have like some squares to piss off in like a meaningful way. Yeah. But otherwise, you end up being like, it's a game where you're a school shooter yeah and or it's like it, hey it, this is really bad and tone deaf and you shouldn't have made this you're kind of an asshole it's not a strategy to gamble on it's like yeah, yeah. If, if it
1: works <laughs> it works but don't bet on that
2: also there's something really important that they missed out on which is that mortal Kombat is fun yeah <laughs> like yeah it has to be a good game it has to be a good game and controversial the controversial the controversy is the icing on the cake it has to be fun if you have an mp3 of penis music as the the file on on the cd you give to gamers they're not going to buy it right right no matter how controversial it is the philosophy of controversy at any cost was reinforced when andrew bloch came on board with a claims pr team so here's another uh, article quote there there was one other motive behind this creative pr so here's here's uh, a quote from andrew Block. You had games that, being blunt, weren't particularly good. Shrugs Andrew. They weren't getting amazing reviews. So the thinking from a PR perspective was, how can we not rely too much on the reviews and get outside of the gaming pages and create attention? If the games hadn't got the attention they did, they would have gone straight into the bargain bin and never played. But it worked. They were getting unprecedented attention off the back of the publicity and outperforming sales expectations. Now, this to some extent mm-hmm. was true, but the problem that, as we'll see, is like obviously a claim goes bankrupt. So why does this not work out? <laughs> the problem is they're not making original games, and even if they're outperforming sales ex- expectations, they're going from abysmal to mediocre in most cases. Right, right. And also, all, what a lot of these business bros see is a quick injection of cash typical of any early release and then an immediate slump right, right right and so they don't see that they're looking at a spike in a downward pattern well and even
0: right it's like from the financial perspective being able to reliably generate a spike in cash is like crack cocaine for investors right right yeah,
2: right. It becomes basically a gambling mindset.
0: Right, right. Keep gambling. Right, they see the spike, and they're like, that's going to keep happening. And and they see a spike. It's like, oh, every time they release a big controversial video game, there's a spike in profits, so I can time my investments, right? Exactly. It's it's safe. Mm. It's totally safe. Nothing will go wrong. <laughs> so now that we're going to
2: get into the PR sense, which is in some ways the juiciest part of this okay. story, I have... A little game for you, a la Goof or Goop. I don't remember, is it Goop or Goof or Goof e- or Goop?
0: Either's fine. I forget, honestly.
2: Goop or Goop. <laughs> so, I'm going to ask you three multiple choice questions. Okay. Each one being a possible advertising strategy. Okay. And each of you have to guess which is the real one. Okay. So... Their PR team was infamous for not just creating individual stunts, but creating almost like a philosophy around it. So here's the first round, okay? Mm -hmm. Are you guys ready?
0: I'm ready. Yep.
2: Okay. A, Smellvertising, in which Acclaim put up posters for Turok that smelled strongly of, quote, real dinosaur, unquote. B, Bloodvertising, (laughs) where to promote their game, Gladiator Sword of Vengeance, Acclaim designed a series of bus stop advertisements that oozed blood. We will put video games in your blood. <laughs> or C, promoting extremism, in which Acclaim pledged financial support to fringe parties in the UK if they would mention their game Extreme G3 publicly. It's gotta be the last one. Evan?
1: I feel like I'm gonna say A, just to be, be the, the wild card here. <laughs>
0: The dinosaur smell.
2: What, what? So what's your rationale, CT?
0: That's so... Like, the other ones are very 90s, and they're very cute. But I can also see, like, if you're so poisoned by controversy, and it's a dumb pun, right? Like, I can totally see that. Okay, well, the answer's
2: <laughs> actually B. Oh, shit. Bloodvertising. <laughs> bloodvertising? That's <laughs> blood wrong. Those are from the words of Andrew Block. <laughs> bloodvertising. These, this was a campaign that... I could not find any picture verification for this. So it's kind of unclear if it actually happened. But what they said they would do, and what was promoted, is that they would put fake blood capsules in bus stop posters, and then six days before the release of the game, they would let the blood start to ooze until it washed onto the street. Oh my god. At which
0: point they would have to come and clean it up. They had to pay some goon with a hammer to go around and find every poster and smash the little file with a hammer.
2: Yes, exactly. All right, so blood advertising was the correct answer. Just imagine them
1: in a meeting, like, we're going to do bloodvertising. <laughs> what? What's bloodvertising? Yeah. This, what do you mean we're blood? We're going to do We're going to smash the little thing, and then the what blood's going to come about? out.
2: How did you get into this building?
0: <laughs> who let this guy in here? <laughs> bloodvertising. I mean, we're going to do yeah. that. We're definitely going to do that. But who let this guy in here? <laughs>
2: He's just some guy who was living in the rafters, (laughs) and they let crawl down. We're gonna do blood. He drops down in the meeting, like (laughs) smashes the
0: table. We're gonna do bloodvertising. Hi, I'm Stephen Blood. (laughs) I'm Stephen Bloodvertising. (laughs) And do I have a proposal for you, Joseph Josh
2: Bloodvertising, (laughs) (laughs) Josh Bloodvertising, (laughs) Joshua B Bloodvertising.
0: (laughs) Hi, I'm Josh Bloodvertising, and (laughs) guess what? Waiting that moment. (laughs) you won't believe this.
2: I have an idea for you. Now, uh, you'll also notice um, a lot of these stunts were done in the UK. There's some in the U.S., it's mostly in the UK. Mm-hmm. I have no idea why. Like, there was, like, a weird
0: left-right hemisphere split in this company. <laughs> That's, like, weirdly common in game companies, actually.
2: Yeah, it, it's, it's, just like the, it's just like the Hunnic Empire, when you think about it. This East and West Branch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway. <laughs> okay, I'll take your word for it. Here is round two. Is it A, louvertising, where Acclaim paid public businesses to put signs on their bathroom stalls saying, for gamers only, with pictures of Sub Zero or Kitana on them? <laughs> the two genders. The two genders. Is it B, Grublicity, in which Acclaim released hundreds of pounds of worms in public spaces across London to promote Worms 3D? <laughs> I want that to be real. I want that to be real so bad. <laughs> worms 3D. <laughs> they are 3D worms, and you think about it. <laughs> yeah.
0: I did think about it.
2: Or is it C, Bill Bird advertising, in which Acclaim spray-painted homing pigeons with the logo of their game Virtua Tennis 2 to fly over crowds at Wimbledon?
0: I. Um, it's got to be A. Yeah, I I'm, I'm going for A here. I want the 3D worms to be real though. Yeah, please say it's real. Okay. It's actually C. Billboard advertising How would that even what? fucking work? What? <laughs> it's like it's like okay, one. It's Wimbledon. I'm watching Wimbledon, not the fucking birds. Yeah. <laughs> Like, yo, look at that bird. It has Virtua Tennis 2 on it. Holy
1: shit. <laughs> Honestly, like,
2: to me, how would you even...
1: Everyone stops watching the game.
0: Who gives a fuck about Serena Williams? There's Virtua Tennis 2 birds. There's a pigeon up there. Why would you look at the pigeons,
2: too? Why would you? How would you see the logo on it, recognize it as Virtua 2, and then go buy the tennis game because of that? Yeah, like,
0: pigeons That's are, right. like, small. Like, <laughs> you can't fit yeah. much text on a pigeon. That's your opinion. They're
2: small and rapidly vibrating as they fly through the sky. I don't know how you're going to pick out this tennis And there's, going.
0: there's a major sporting event happening. It's like, That everyone <laughs> right. wants to look at. It's the worst time to advertise with pigeons. It's like, yeah, to, to advertise the next season of Desperate Acts of Capitalism, we're going to write tiny little advertisements on ants and then release them during the Super Bowl. <laughs> right.
2: Why didn't it work? <laughs> I got to say, though, I'm really proud of the worms gag. I wish that was true. Please. I really want to go around releasing. <laughs> oh God! Thousands why are there
0: fucking worms everywhere? Uh, it's because of Worms 3D. It's a video game you can play. <laughs> <laughs> they have little signs tied to them. It's a brand awareness campaign. <laughs> yeah. I'm making you aware of these worms.
2: Imagine taking like a, a like a backloader truck and then going to a metro <laughs> tunnel entrance and just dumping it down the metro tube. <laughs>
0: <laughs> jesus christ and at the end of the metro tube it says worms 3d it says
2: worms <laughs> right. 3d
0: that's where the advertising comes in
2: that's the thing where like if you have a pre-existing condition that would be what triggers your schizophrenia or something oh yeah
1: like, a bunch of worms
2: like, like if you were coming out of the metro and then you see a worm
0: flow heading toward you <laughs> right there's a worm fall and then you find, you escape oh, the God. terrible wormfall, and you see an advertisement for 3D worms. I think that's going to stick with you.
2: <laughs> All right. So for the billboard advertising, for some context, a quote from a Kotaku article. This is Andrew talking. Quote, we came up with a concept called billboard advertising. Wimbledon is quite famous for the pigeons that occasionally fly on court. You know what it's like at Wimbledon. It doesn't take a lot to amuse the crowds. So... We thought it would be fun. What does that mean? It doesn't take a lot to amuse these fucking
0: peasants. It's
2: like a a weirdly condescending way to talk about
0: most British people (laughs) as a British person. These idiots are watching two women knock a ball back and forth. (laughs) Release a pigeon. Of course they're going to completely
1: divert their attention and look at that. How
2: quaint. So, we thought it would be fun to take a group of homing pigeons, paint Virtua tennis logos on their wings, and train them to fly into Wimbledon and flap their logo wings in front of the
0: center court crowds. <laughs> flap their logo wings? We did some publicity around it. That's, that's a fucking cocaine idea. It, it, it is. That's insane. I mean, this is
2: at the height of cocaine. Can I you would imagine
1: have... if we took pigeons and we painted logos on their wings and we released them during Wimbledon? Everyone's going to look at the pigeons and they're
2: going to know about our company. <laughs>
0: Fuck, I can't wait until they invent fentanyl. I don't care what you just said, do it.
2: I mean, literally, this is the kind of thing that was made at the height of, like, the cocaine. Yeah. Boom. So, back to the quote. We did some publicity around it. We invited media down to see the homing pigeons being trained, says Andrew. This caused much disgust among Wimbledon officials. Who sent out a press release to say they were training their hawks to hunt down the pigeons <laughs> and kill them? Fuck
0: yes! Got, Fuck yes! That <laughs> rules. Right, they
2: have hawks. <laughs> they have hawks on standby they, they, like, for
1: situations like this.
2: They, ha- they, I can't believe they have falconers ready to kill obnoxious pigeons like
0: this. Like they're just, they're just <laughs> ready to go. I fucking love the adblock falcons. That rules. <laughs> That's so right. fucking cool. Adblock falcons. That needs to be a business. That's a good business idea. Yeah. I will train my beautiful falcon to eat any advertisements that you see. So,
2: clearly, Andrew thought this was great. And then when Virtua Tennis came out, like, it sold okay. But it's like a tennis, it's a tennis game. Like, what did you expect? Boys, sales are mid. Yeah! That's word for the Hawks. No one's going to, like, blow their gourd over a tennis game. Right. Now, here's the final round, folks. Is it... A. Punch promos, in which Acclaim promised to pay 100 pounds to anyone who filmed themselves getting punched in the face as long as they mentioned their new game, Punch King. Is it... B. Madvertising, in which Acclaim promised anyone who successfully checked themselves into a mental hospital... (laughs) for playing too much crazy taxi with 100 pounds for every day they were held. Or is it C, deadvertising, in which a claim
0: promised to Kill pay yourself. any family... Kill <laughs> yourself. Kill yourself for video games. Do it for Ape Escape 3.
2: <laughs> they promised to pay any family who would let the publisher put advertisements on the tombstone of their deceased loved one featuring the game Shadow Man second coming paying them based on how prominent the headstone was
0: okay those last two are insane I forgot what the first one is so I'm go- but I'm going with that one okay okay I can just say the first one again it's punch promos yeah in which
2: acclaim promised to pay a hundred pounds to anyone who filmed themselves getting punched in the face and mentioning the game Punch King.
1: Yeah, it's that, it's definitely that. I'm gonna say C. I feel like that's just like weirdly insensitive enough to be real.
2: Okay, well the real answer is C,
0: Dead (laughs) Retirement. Are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) Yep, it's real. No one's even heard of that game. That game isn't like real. It's literally Like, like a Nathan for you skit. It's so
2: bad, like it honestly sounds made up. It's also, by the way, second with a two for the S. Come on. It is really bad. Jesus. Apparently, it's based on a somewhat obscure comic series. Whatever.
0: Put it on your tombstone.
2: <laughs> Here's an article uh, from the Guardian. Acclaim Entertainment said yesterday that it would pay relatives of the recently bereaved in return for placing small billboards on headstones, and that the offer might quote particularly interest poorer families unquote. Oh my God. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like that's horrible. that's ghoulish. It it literally ghoulish. Continuing with the article, the Church of England said that there was no way it would allow any of its graveyards to be used in such a fashion. (laughs) Yeah. A spokesman said, quote, there was enough fuss with plastic flowers in churchyards, unquote. Okay.
0: Oh, my God. Yeah. What fuss are plastic flowers causing? Enough.
2: (laughs) I don't know. I think people, I think that British people are are petty about flowers and gardening in general. Sure. Sure. So we're gonna get into a little bit of why they did the stunts the way they did. So, Acclaims PR team dug in with a deadvertising ploy as long as they possibly could. I get it. Until it became evident that there was no way they could legally go through with a tombstone thing. We there's no other way we have to do this.
1: We're too far gone. We have
2: to it's the only option. We have way. to put ads on tombstones. You look at in the meeting room of their PR team and they're all dressed in like Hot Topic clothes and Edward Skellington hoodies and stuff. <laughs> this is the only way to advertise. <laughs> so concerns about grave desecration, church authority, and finally, UK laws about approving public advertisements made it so obvious that any attempt to go through with their promise would end with them getting sued. So they withdrew it. <laughs> but Acclaim had got what they wanted. It didn't matter much to them if they were ever able to go through with one of their stunts. The important thing to them was to get people talking about it. Right. If they could generate enough about around the possibility that they could go through with a stunt, then in their eyes they had won. In fact, this would be something of an MO for Acclaim stunts going forward. Get people excited and outraged over something crazy that a claim might do. Mm -hmm. Then pull back before any legal or public opinion consequences could be really leveled against them.
0: Right, there you go.
2: So lame. It's very lame. It's, again, it's something where if you're someone who listens to Andrew Tate's podcast, you might be like, oh, yeah, that's like savvy hustler mentality or whatever. Like, yeah, it's underhanded, but it works. (laughs) And as we'll see... This is, I mean, a a claim is like one foot in the grave as they're doing this. And this is like
0: (laughs) the push that makes them completely in the grave. Stable corporations that are doing well don't pull shit like this. Don't put ads on tombstones.
2: It's literal midlife crisis shenanigans. (laughs) So another such stunt was geared around the release of the Burnout 2 racing game in which a claim promised to pay the speeding ticket of anyone who drove over the speed limit (laughs) and was pulled over on the day of the game's launch. From a Kotaku article, Our plan was always to retract it the day before launch, explains Andrew. So the outrage simply played into the plan. Quote, We were never going to go ahead and do it for the reason the government said. It was irresponsible. It was encouraging people to potentially speed without any liability. We never wanted to be responsible for that. Never wanted to encourage people to drive stupidly, unquote. I mean,
0: at, at this point, it's just like hollow rhetoric, right? Like, we know they're, we know they're not actually going to yeah. do this. Right. That's what just makes it stupid.
2: It's so telling when he says, we never wanted to be responsible for that. Uh, I mean, never wanted to encourage people to drive stupidly. Uh-huh. They don't give a shit if they put people at risk. Like, who knows how many people actually went out and sped because they didn't hear, they were attracted
0: the offer. Right, right. Just causing people—it's causing a public nuisance for no reason. But
2: it's not just a public nuisance; it's a potentially life-threatening crime. Right. Like, please take your school bus full of children and gun it at one hundred twenty miles an hour for for burnout. I'm too. doing
0: this for Crazy Taxi too. <laughs> please give me the sponsorship.
1: Well, it just reminds me of like it's like a. Proud Boys thing of, like, like clearly encouraging, like, political violence or something, like, clearly illegal, but then when they get, like, held responsible for it, it's like, oh, I was clearly joking. It's a
0: joke! Like, yeah. we're
1: actually gonna do it.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, perhaps Acclaim's most well-known stunt was their promise to pay parents to change their child's name to Turok, after the titular <laughs> protagonist of their Turok First Person sh- Shooter series. Alright. Now, here's the notice... That they put out, taken from Turok.com forward slash baby via the Wayback Machine. <laughs> Turok Labor Day Contest. Win 10000 dollars to name your baby Turok. That's right. Grab hold of your expectant lady and get ready to push. Because if your kid is the first baby out of the hatch on Sunday 9102, you can win 10 grand in US savings bonds just by naming him Turok. What could be better than being the father of the dinosaur hunter? Keep the neighbors at bay as he battles raptors with his bare hands. Watch as he spits back his formula in favor of regurgitated Quetzalcoatl food. Listen in amazement as the first words from his mouth are, I am Turok. Well, maybe not, but $10,000 sure sounds good. Here's the deal if your wife, or if you're the wife, you are expecting with a due date on around September 1st, 2002, and are willing to legally name your baby Turok, for one year, just pre-register right here on Turok.com. Out of the list of applicants, if your infant is the first one born on Sunday, September 1st, 2002, then Baby Turok gets $10,000 in U.S. savings bonds. In U.S. savings bonds. Yeah. Yeah. And in the U.K., the rewards for changing your child's name to Turok were much lower: 500 pounds and an Xbox. That's nothing. It's nothing. We'll give you $20. <laughs> it's not worth it. Patently not worth it. But like, it's so 2002, right? Yeah. Everything for like the assuming that the the gamer is a, a man or like the weird condescension to the wife. Right. Like, like it doesn't apply to ch- children born
1: out
0: of wedlock. Like, <laughs> it's, I, it's... yeah, <laughs> I love the, the start of the ad release that was like, Grab your sweetheart and get ready to push. Like, yeah. Drop a load of baby in that wife, and you can be
2: rock. It's the same, like, it's the same, like, video game video essay kind of, like, voice. Like, grab your juice box and get ready to jump in the world of Sonic. Like, it's that same.
0: Wait, <laughs> right, it's weird that, but it's tone. saying, get
2: ready to impregnate your wife. <laughs> yeah. Like, get so excited about impregnating your wife for a video game competition. <laughs>
0: Jesus. Get ready to breed, gamers.
2: <laughs> oh, man. Now, a claim claims that some people did change their kids' names to Turok. And media outlets at the time reinforced these reports, with the BBC reporting that some 6,000 people jumped at the chance to get in on the Turok money.
0: 6,000? That's what the
2: BBC claimed. But in 2020, A VG247 journalist named Connor McCarr picked up the story and tried to track down the people who were actually named Turok. And this guy, folks, he did an insane amount of journalism. Like, the BBC reporters who covered the story were clearly like, whatever, it's a PR stunt, I'm just going to, like, phone it in. This dude did, like, serious reporting. Now, here's uh, from the article. I started by phoning up Andrew Block. Who was responsible for claims campaigns to start off my search? He confirmed that five people in the UK were indeed named Turok as a result of the competition. He didn't know who these handful of winners were, but he did confirm that the campaign was successful at getting the attention of the press. And even the BBC covered the Turok campaign. So then he proceeds to call up the national, like some national archives, and pour over like name change notices. And he like poured over social media for anyone named Turok or associated with a company. Continuing with the article. At this point, I was feeling desperate. I searched for the fives' names on social media, something that didn't exist back in 2002. With the vast majority of adults in the UK having a Facebook account, it seemed like the most obvious place to search. So then later on, he finally finds someone involved in the campaign. Uh, continuing with the article. My first interviewee replied briefly, only giving two pieces of information. They were indeed one of the five winners of Acclaim's PR campaign, but they and the rest of the winners weren't random members of the public at all. In fact, all five were actors, paid to pretend they were huge (laughs) fans of the game, who changed their name. Oh my god. This person didn't say much, but what little they gave me was astronomically important. All the pieces started to come together. And this is where, like, you have the Charlie Kelly moment.
0: Yeah, yeah. With,
2: like... Pepe Sylvia, all the pieces started to come together. No one ever changed their name. There was never a dentist nor a midwife matching the name of the winners because that was never their real jobs. Oh my God. So they could not find anyone (laughs) who was actually interested in changing their name. Well, didn't you say it was in the UK,
1: it was only 500 pounds for like, that was the reward? Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. No one is going to change the name of their baby for 500 pounds. There's a really good quote from his article, by the way. This is honestly an amazing, amazingly done article for such a tiny company. But uh, there's a great quote quote where he gives the, the National Archives all the information on the name. And he could see, hear the pr- other person on the other line of the phone sigh and say, Well, I hope it was worth it. With a name like that, it won't take long to search. Oh, my God. <laughs> but... It's so funny. They could find no one who actually wanted to go through with it. So they just lied. Right, yeah. And like, not only did they lie, but they lied to a video game journalist 20 years after the stunt. Right. This dude, Andrew Block, he lied and says, yeah, it was successful. What are you protecting at this point? Like, what do you care? Like, don't you, don't you like relish in fucking
0: people over and lying to them already? Right. It's like, what contract did you sign? Or like, are, are people still in your pocket from this? Like, what is the... What is the right. reasoning here?
2: He's so far it's gone. Like
0: this guy went down a Da Vinci Code paper trail <laughs>
2: to find this information. It's like weirdly, Where? weirdly covered up. There's a
0: map to the Turok baby on the back of the Magna Carta. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: I, I would look. I would. I would pay a lot of money to see that. It wouldn't be national treasure. It'd be like national bauble or something. <laughs> <laughs> British. British people are funny. British bauble. Okay, c- picking back up here. The PR campaigns could be called successful in that they created a media storm around them whenever they took off. And it's probably true that they netted Acclaim's titles more sales than they would have otherwise received. But it was like Andrew Block said, the games were not great, often far from great. Even though the PR stunts had some effects on sales, it was not enough to stop Acclaim's profit margins from plummeting. So eventually, Acclaim would reach a point where it would do something really flashy and offensive, then turn to consumers and say, pretty gnarly, right? Want to buy
0: our game, please? Uh, and consumers would uh, respond with a resounding, no. I, I really don't <laughs> want to play Penis Smashing Simulator 4. The last two really hurt my penis.
2: <laughs> I don't care how controversial it is. I don't want to mash my penis.
0: Yeah. it's It's cool that you offered to, like, circumcise someone in public with an alligator, but... I'm, I'm really not a fan of this game. It's not fun.
2: Uh, yeah, it's not fun.
0: One out of ten. Some redeeming qualities. Classic economics. So,
2: <laughs> classic economics. Cut your fan's penis off with an alligator. That point, that low point, was marked by a game called BMX XXX.
0: Okay, okay, okay. Are you telling me somebody made, like, a horny extreme biking game? <laughs> CT, that's exactly what I'm telling you. I was making a joke.
2: It's that and so much more. You have no idea. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no. Now, the the BMX game represents not only the breaking point of Acclaim's toying with controversy and public opinion, but also another problem it fails to appreciate. It's a blatant disrespect for an exploitation of its celebrity and athlete partnerships. Oh? So th- there's an advice article about this that's honestly really good, and I've quoted from it extensively here for this, this episode's script. Quote, Leading up to its release, the game, BMX XXX, had a ton of buzz, even being covered by the New York Times and Playboy, something pretty rare in the early 2000s. Like, gaming was still a media niche. Yeah, yeah. However, the buzz wasn't particularly good. Taking influence from TV shows like Jackass, the game included humping dogs, foul language, and naked women, both animated and real. Somewhere underneath it all was a solid BMX game, but by the time the press was out there, it never stood a chance. Due to its heavily publicized nude scenes involving real women thanks to a partnership with the New York Strip Club Scores, BMX XXX was banned from outlets like Walmart and Toys R Us. Juggernauts in the pre Amazon, pre digital storefront era. Yeah, <laughs>
0: you, you can't survive if it's being banned from retail like, outlets.
2: Where are you selling this if you're not selling it at these big retailers? Like, you're selling it out of back alleys. Because there
0: wasn't, there, there wasn't really GameStops back then.
2: Like, GameStores
0: no. weren't really a thing. So they're basically going to have
2: to squeeze it through the tiniest distribution centers to get anyone to buy the game. At this point, right, coupled with no pro athlete support, when it released, it sold barely a hundred sixty thousand total copies across all platforms. That is nothing. It's abysmal, according to numbers provided to Motherboard by the games producer. And that's across like the US and the UK, folks. That's
0: nothing. That that's, is that's nothing. Really
2: bad. Right. It's terrible. So they tracked. So Vice tracked down the developers of this, and they got a lot of um the backstory for like how these stupid ideas came to be. And here's one guy, um, uh, Sean Rosen, who worked there, who talks about how the idea for the game came up. Quote, you know, when you get a whole bunch of guys in a room, people start throwing out stupid ideas. He told me, (sighs) so we're talking about, okay, maybe we should go for a mature rating. What does mature mean? Maybe we'll have some more hardcore music. Maybe there'll be a little more language in it. And someone threw out, I don't remember who it was. Let's put strippers in the game. And everyone laughed, but after the laughing, everyone got serious and like actually start like was like, "No, this is a good idea. This is gonna save our fl- failing company." Oh my god! And decided this throwaway stupid bro comment would be
0: what saves their their company. Yeah, what what this company really needed was some f- good feminine energy <laughs> that would have saved this. Yeah, they're all about empowering women. <laughs> if only there was a woman
2: in the boardroom. I mean, you joke, but like. We'll get into it in a little bit briefly, but they did try to reach out to girl gamers and they fell flat on their face. I
0: am desperate to know what they tried to do for girl gamers. I am. It was so bad. Fucking desperate to know. Well, okay.
2: Before I get back into it, there's this guy, Dave Mira, who's a really popular pro BMXer who they had been working with before and they had a really successful franchise with. Like At this point, sports games were super popular. I think you guys can remember how popular games like Tony Hawk um, Pro Skater were. Mm -hmm. Like They're still genre-defining, beloved games. I still have
0: a copy of Tony
2: Hawk's Underground. Yeah, it's super popular. Um, And the thing with these games is the athlete name gives so much value to the game because people don't want to play some Joe Schmo doing kickflips, right? They want to play Tony Hawk doing kickflips. So Dave Mira was someone they had a good working relationship with. And before this, this was going to be a Dave Mira game until they decided to make a full 180 and make it out strippers and then keep Dave Mira in the game. And Dave Mira was like, uh, no, I'm not putting my image in your stripper game. So back to the article, Acclaim was in dire straits. They really needed the game to do well. Uh, This is still the same guy talking. I think... I think that was a main driver behind the decision to put nudity in the game. (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) This is something that's going to get a lot of PR, good or bad, no matter what we do, Smith said, speculating on the thought process of his bosses at the time. So they turned what was going to be Dave Mira Freestyle BMX 3 into XXX. Now, here's another guy working at the company. This guy is one of the actual developers. Mm-hmm. I probably was pissed off because I knew we were going to have to scramble and redesign the game, as Gerard said. Acclaim gave us a little more time, but it was definitely not enough to compensate for having to go back and redesign an enormous amount of content. Oh, yeah. Employees at Z-Axis, the company, did not have a choice. Its management not only agreed to the idea... But seemed to think it was a good one. Furthermore, Z Axis had a, had signed a multi-game deal with Acclaim, back when it signed on for the first Dave Mirra game. Ah, yes. And so, it was contractually obligated to make whatever the publisher wanted. So these are the the real people suffering here.
0: Right, right. Because now you have like the people making the actual game. They're like, make our stupid idiot porn game, please. Yeah. Like, okay, well. I feel our, so bad our for these guys. Reputation as a developer is going down the toilet now.
2: Yeah. And they ha- legally have to. and They really try their hardest. You can tell they put a lot of work into this, as terrible a game it was. Mm-hmm. And they're all going to get rewarded with like being immediately dropped. The first nail in the coffin for the Dave Mira uh, game was when the pros pulled their support. Because Dave Mira was not the only person involved mm-hmm. with the game. All popular sports games rely on pro support to sell copies. The long-running... Uh, NFL Madden and NBA 2K series pay top athletes millions of dollars to appear on the covers of their annual games. The Dave Mirra Freestyle BMX series obviously had Dave Mirra. Tony Hawk Games had Tony Hawk. In this genre, brand recognition is everything. But when it came down to the content, professional writers risked losing sponsorships. Like Even if they didn't want to be associated with it for whatever reason, mm-hmm. these guys will like lose their jobs, their income. Right. If they go with games like this. yeah. So they, they risked losing their sponsorships, which pay their bills by being involved. It was a liability to their careers. One by one, they all started dropping their support. This included Mira himself, who pulled his name from the game. A claim shortened the title to simply BMX XXX, And yet, Mira would go on to sue a claim in 2003 for $20 million, claiming he didn't know the game would, be, would take the direction it did.
0: No, I mean that sounds reasonable. Yeah, I don't think he did. But yeah, I mean that's fair.
2: Here's this st- another example of the stupidity of a acc- claim. They realized that they understood that uh, that Mira would no longer be approving his name on the cover, but they're like, let's hide him as a character inside the game. What? And then Mira, it, his team was like, uh, I saw your game, and I saw that I'm in your game, even though I told you you can't put me in it.
0: I have to sue you now. What did you expect? Right. <laughs> yeah. Th- it's like. Literally, what did they expect? It's like, oh, he'll never find out. Right. There's no like, possible way.
2: He knows you're making this game.
0: <laughs> like, they
2: made the worst of both worlds because if they had at least, like, said fuck you and put him on the cover, they would have at least gotten more people to buy the game. But they did the worst right, thing. Where, but they like, hid him. So right. they lost their brand recognition and they ensured they would get sued. It's, like, the <laughs> stupidest possible decision. That is so fucking stupid. It's absurdly stupid. Okay, now th- with that behind us, BMX XXX would eke out $5 million in profit, far less than a game of its size should have made. A-, a publisher who's like farming out its work to a company like Z-Axis should be raking in a lot more money than that, especially with all the PR money they put into this. Yeah, that's nothing. Uh, and it barely had any copies on store shelves. And those who did play it almost universally panned it. It got a 54 out of 100 from critics, and a 4.8 out of 10 from user
0: reviews oh, on Metacritic. With, for with reference. how video games are scored, like if it's out of 100 and it's less than 70, that's a garbage game. Like that's in that it's is terrible and a borderline unplayable experience.
2: Yeah, oh my God. it's it's re- like you really see reviews of any game no bad no matter how bad it is below 50. So if it's at 54, that's like.
1: It's near the floor. Yeah. It's pretty bad. Right. And it's not selling anywhere anyway. It's like the the few people who do buy it hate it. It's like there's no like niche underground
2: cult following for this weird like biker porn game. No. (laughs) And like, what are you going to do? You're going to do a trick and then wait and get horny over, by the way, censored porn clips. Awesome. Awesome. Of stripping to to 311s down. I didn't mention that it was to 311. This, this is a very t- t- early 2000s game. <laughs> some a little more edgy. God. Got some 311 in 311. there. 311. <laughs> yeah. I, I have access to the internet, and yet I'm going to play this BMX game for the chance to get horny over some censored stripper clips. Right. Like, who thought this was a good idea? Right. It's the only way. <laughs> so now we're moving on to a brief next section of this script. Called Lawsuits and Burned Bridges. Yay! Because this was one of the biggest burned bridges they made with Dave Mira. They just totally ruined that. Uh, WWF was another example. The BMX debacle ensured that no athletes were ever going to trust a claim with their name. No one wanted to hand their reputation over to a game company that would take their sports game and on a whim say, you know what? This is about strippers now. (laughs) And then there was the aforementioned wrestling fiasco. Bungling its initial World Wrestling Federation games, Acclaim was dropped by the WWF and was forced to sign with the far less stable Extreme Championship Wrestling, Mm -hmm. which quickly went bankrupt and dragged Acclaim further down with its debts. There was also the inexplicable fracas—I'm quickly running out of words to describe Acclaim's business dealings—with the Olsen Twins. The Olsen Twins? Acclaim— What? What? The Olsen Twins. What, what, did, what the fuck did they do to Ali and AJ? Well, boy, Hattie, I'll tell you. Acclaim had partnered with the Twins to develop a game designed to reach out to the then-much-neglected Gamer Girl market. It was a not-unwise decision. I mean, this is an existing market that had been neglected for a long time. But it was a little strange, given who the publisher was. Right. Even more baffling was Acclaim's decision... While on its proverbial deathbed in 2004, not to pay the twins almost $200,000 in royalties for the game that Acclaim made in their name but never finished or released.
0: Yeah, that's just idiotic. Yeah, like the at at that point, it's just theft. Like it's it's either yeah, like it's either gross incompetence that is theft, or it's just like we know that we're fucked, so we're gonna steal as much as we can. And probably both. And but th- they're
2: they're dealing with. The Olsen twins, like they may be minors at this time, but they have lawyers. They are lawyered up. They're not going to just let people walk over them. They're they work in Hollywood. Right. Right. Who are very serious about their IP law. And $20,000 is not insane for a major company. Even at this point, they could have paid them. And they just said, no, let's let's gamble and hope they don't do anything. And then they were like uh, a claim. I have to sue you now. What did you expect? Yeah
0: like don't make me especially like they're gambling on this when they will clearly lose like that's a layup of a yeah. lawsuit <laughs> yeah and not uh, like
2: mere weeks later right they would go bankrupt
1: weeks my after God. this like
2: this will... because not only are they going to sue for the t- uh, 200,000 but they went for something like an uh, i'm this is off the top of my head but something like 350,000 more in uh, interest and damages or something like that they just laid themselves up so, at this point, this is one of the last little pushes that a claim needs to go into, like to go completely bankrupt. And there, it was already going to happen, but this just sped it up. Now that the dust is going to start to settle, now we get into the, the, the section that I call lies, fraud,
0: and golden parachutes. Yay! Where we really see the rotten core of this company. I cannot wait. Because, like, every time we do this show... It's always, like, whenever we do, like, a big giant, like, Sears or Radio Shack, it's never one bad decision that fucks over a company, right? It's always... Yeah. No, it's a concerted effort. It's always a series of really bad decisions, like, one after the other. Yeah. It's, it's, it takes consistently choosing right. self-destructive, incorrect options, and I am fascinated yeah. to see what these idiots did. <laughs>
2: yeah, uh, because, you know, these guys, these are not people who, honestly, who, like major in business or finance or anything, these are, like, rich business bros who are winging it. Right, right. All right. Yeah. So, in 2005, as the dust settled from a claim's flatulent collapse, a court-appointed trustee presented a New York uh, court judge with a detailed complaint report that revealed the rotten practices and business culture at the heart of the recently deceased company. The findings listed in the complaint are, frankly, far too extensive to cover in detail or even in abstract. Like, even if I try to skim over this stuff, there's just too much to hit. So we're going to focus on hitting the a number of the main points. So a lot of this comes from, I'm going to quote extensively here, from a, games, uh, a GameSpot article in 2005. The complaint... Which is seeking nearly hundred and fifty million dollars in damages from a group of former acclaim executives, including Gregory E. Fishbach, James R. Skoroposki, and Rodney Cousins, Gerard um, Agoglia, Edmund Sinctus, Bernard Fishbach, uh, James Chabelli, Robert Groman, and Mike Michael Tannen, paints a picture of tawdry dealings. That laundered millions of dollars through contrived avenues that netted the above defendants millions of dollars, but creditors and former employees, little or nothing. The complaint, which seeks a jury trial to determine culpability, alleges that, quote, Defendants abused their positions of authority and responsibility by operating a claim in many instances as if it were a personal piggy bank. It says that defendants, quote, misrepresented profits and revenues in public filings, with the Securities and Exchange Commission, paid each other undeserved salaries, fees, and bonuses, allowed highly compensated directors and officers to pay themselves additional, quote-unquote, commissions through third-party entities, violated audit committee standards by allowing members
0: to receive fees from a claim. Okay, okay. All that other shit happens a lot in, like, in the business world, violating audit committees, like, you are fucked. Yeah. Because that, like, that gets the IRS involved and they are kind of like, the IRS are kind of like the ticking clock of financial fraud. Because they, it doesn't matter what crimes you're committing or even, like, they don't necessarily have as much jurisdiction to prosecute crimes, but whatever you did, they will eventually find out.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it, it, that, that's like, right. it's like stepping on a landmine. Yeah. It's like as a direct hit as you can get. Everything else, if you're just like slightly fudging the numbers or like there's possible wiggle room to be like, oops, ha silly me. That's one thing. Right. And then to extend to like, but to violate audit, audit committee standards in like a very discreet way. That's like another story. Yeah. P- okay. To con- finish that sentence really quick. And placed their own personal financial interests ahead of their fiduciary duties to claim. Basically, I want to get to one highlight of the document, which is, which, according to the, the GameSpot article, it says, at times read like a script from a remake of Animal House. Oh, my God. Includes the following allegations. Oh, oh actually, before I get to that, let me say one thing. After the acclaimed files for the bankruptcy petition, senior management abandoned the company's premises and uh, converted or destroyed files. Valuable artwork what furniture and other property belonging to a claim and we'll get back to the artwork thing that's the whole thing um okay (laughs) so to continue with the article they were fudging their losses quote the various defendants manipulated the books of their company during the the fiscal years 2000 2001 in those years the trustee alleges quote a claim incurred large systemic cash flow deficits and as a result Desperately needed additional financing to stay in business. Unquote. For the fiscal year that ended in August 31st, 2000, Acclaim reported a net loss of 113.8 million on the net revenues of 188.6 million. And as of August 31st, 2000, Acclaim's liabilities exceeded its assets by almost a hundred million dollars, oh according God. to the allegations.
0: I, I am shocked that they lasted as long as they did.
2: It's like they lasted on like, yeah they were basically like Wile e. Coyote going over the cliff and then <laughs> looking down and seeing there's nothing under him. It's just like, it, it, it's cartoon logic
0: that they stayed that, afloat that That long. level of deficit, you have to know that you like literally cannot come back from that.
2: Yeah. And they knew. Yeah. They knew. You have to. Uh, Fishbach and Skoroposki apparently suffered little. Quote, as a result of their stock holdings and executive positions, and despite Acclaim's severe ongoing financial problems, defendants Fishbach and Posky were able to secure employment contracts that provided them with rich salaries and benefits from Acclaim without requiring them to devote or even to devote full or even passing attention to their company duties. Awesome. These guys were not not looking at, or neither did they did they look at, nor did they care about what was happening to the company. Right. And they built like nest eggs for themselves to get out. Oh, yeah, of course. Was they knew it was going under. Yeah. So now this is me. It should be noted again that a claim very illegally failed to pay its former workers after going under, violating the 1934 Exchange Act. In addition, the artwork its executive stole from its former offices was incredibly valuable, amounting to almost $800,000 in artwork.
0: What? stole stolen artwork.
2: Yeah. Oh my God. They, they must have been like a Rembrandt or something. I don't, I don't know what they were. Yeah, what the hell? But they just said, like, fuck it, no one's going to no check. Right. And, you know, guess what? They did. <laughs> they did. They totally did. Like, the, right. These guys do not. No one will check this. They didn't learn from David Mira. They didn't learn from the Olsen twins. They didn't learn from any of their mistakes. Like, people will f- follow up if they if you try to fuck with them it's
0: like this isn't even like oh they'll it's i'm dealing with like clever people that can like get you even if you're clever it's like they just assumed that it's like oh yeah it's okay to like punch people in the face they won't like do anything <laughs> about it it's like no this yeah. is like the most basic level of retribution possible for what is yeah. bald facedly illegal it's not like they didn't have experience being
2: defendants in cases like this right but they just felt like whatever they felt like whatever happened, they could roll with the punches until they got a massive lawsuit against them by their all of their empo- former employees and shareholders. Because of course that's going to happen. Right. They know you're running the company into the ground. Anyway, uh, I have no idea what happened to the art. I hope they returned it to whoever owned they owned it. But it seems really appropriate that with their history, like the they the last bit of their story is like an ordinary piece of like petty theft. Right. Like art theft. (laughs) Like after all this art theft, like after screwing over the Olsen twins and defrauding countless business partners and screwing over their customers with horrible buggy games that they rushed out for quick buck, they end their story by like being convicted for art theft.
0: Good. Fuck (laughs) them. So dumb. But,
2: but it's like, honestly, these kind of people should be in jail. And yet, these guys still have companies. Yeah, they, they, like these work at major media com. These guys still work at major media companies with no consequences. Of course, you of know? course, they do. They, these guys are still really successful. Now, this is a rather anticlimactic point where things end. Technically, the claim name survives a little longer. You remember how I said the former exec of Activision bought this for like hundred thousand dollars? Oh yeah, he took the name acclaim and turned it into acclaim games and he went on to jump on in many ways he didn't change the acclaim business model and that he took what already worked and then rolled with that so he jumped on the then booming mmorpg um phenomenon and he made a lot of korean style like mmorpgs for u.s markets but this was also at the same time that the idea of microtransactions was starting to enter popularity ah yes good old microtransactions a lot of companies just like did not know how to use them and like the best way to use microtransactions is like tf2 like cosmetics that are fun you know right but this was like a lot of pay-to-win bs that ended up causing Acclaim games to go under by like 2010 and now if you go to the Acclaim website it says coming soon and it's been saying that for like years
0: Big, big things, things are, are coming. coming. Ah! Yeah, big
2: it's literally, literally, big things are coming. It's literally that. Like it's fitting that like it's the words on his tombstone are almost exactly big things are coming.
0: That is <laughs> that is insanely fitting. Oh my god.
2: It's absurd it's like absurdly fitting for this company. <laughs> anyway, um coming soon. <laughs> just I love that. It's just <laughs> like, it's
1: coming soon. It doesn't say yeah, what is coming. Get ready soon. What is coming soon? Yeah. You're yep. not prepared. So,
2: now, with the remaining time in this episode, I I just wanted to talk with you guys. Like, how is it that video games? I mean, do you think video game companies have gotten better since companies like Acclaim? No. Uh, or video game like cu-
0: culture? Like, why is it so bad compared to like the movie industry or whatever? So, okay, consistently, I, there there is kind of a reason behind this, and it's that when video games were first being invented, they were. It's like the broader ecosystem of the economy didn't really know what to do with them yet. Like it was it was a new thing and people definitely understood how to make money off of them and understood like there was plenty of greedy business practices that still continue to this day. But the story of the last like 10, 15 years of the game industry has been the same thing that happened to Hollywood like in the 1970s, right? Mm. It was, you got, basically what happened was you got the finance industry realized how much insane, stable profit there was in the games industry. And so you got games divisions of large corporations like Ubisoft and Activision Mm -hmm. that were being helmed by people that had never played video games, didn't know anything about the industry that they were in, but understood market speculation, right? Yeah. And understood that you could make ridiculous profit margins by indulging in the most anti-consumer, like, microtransaction-type bullshit that you possibly could. They realized that there was a lot of money to squeeze out of this. And what what happened for Hollywood, you got large studios that were essentially financial instruments, right? It was just take big names and successful writers and then just kind of throw them in a blender and give them a time limit and let the marketing people kind of decide the direction that everything goes in and what eventually happened was they made really really expensive uh, movies that because they thought like oh if it if we can invest a dollar and make 10 we just need to make the movie's budget as big as possible
2: yeah right
0: and what you got was unwatchable tripe that no one really liked yeah and it crashed the the studio system for a, a solid two decades yeah and you were we're basically seeing that happen in video games right now
2: yeah i mean i was gonna say um we've had a shift in video game culture where um back in like the early 2000s video games were coming out more frequently like uh, big developers they released more and so they could kind of spread their loss a little bit it is true that in some ways like there are some benefits of having big name video game releases like big resident evil releases or whatever, because they're off some, sometimes like they're nice, like they're or like a dark souls or whatever. That's kind of its own animal. But um, at the same time, you get a lot more cynical exploitation of franchises or like things like fallout 76, where it's just Like, it's like this mutated Chernobyl mess. Like, kill me. I shouldn't exist, you know? Exactly. Where you have someone fitting a game into a market phenomenon that it's not designed to fit in. Mm -hmm. It's just so frustrating. But the good thing about games is, at least now, today, we have indie developers who have made a lot of really beloved uh, games that we can fall back on, which was not the case earlier on, you know?
0: Yes, yes. So that, that, yeah. The the console market, like, there's a lot of classics to play now. Yeah. Yeah, there are. And they are more accessible than ever. But, I mean, frankly, I think video games for a long time
2: are going to be trapped in this business phenomenon. As long as capitalism exists, games will suck. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's it is funny how... When you ever see media figures in the in the video game world talk about E three, it is like a universally hate filled conversation. Yeah. Like, people hate E three, even as important and central it is to the video game world. Like it's like a source of deep rage among <laughs> video game players. I mean, they, they make it easy to be like to fit the, the angry video game nerd stereotype, you know? Right. And yet, like, what other choice do we have?
0: You right. Know? It's, it's this enormous source of, like, rage and mockery. And it's the most important media event of the games industry. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah it's bizarre. It's like if people watch the Olympics and they, like, hated, hated <laughs> Usain Bolt. It's like, fuck you, you're a fraud. <laughs> and right. he's,
0: like, jogging at five miles an hour. That's what, like, E3 is like. It is. it is. I will be extremely interested to see what happens with the games industry, as it as time develops because at the same like it's like you said we have a lot of really good indie studios that are able to crank out like incredible games for basically no budget like it's like every once in a while you'll get like yeah. an Undertale where it's like two people in their bedroom who crank out a genre defining game and it just yeah. blows they the Yeah they make it on like like welfare and box tops like that's their budget Yeah exactly and it and it blows the rest of the industry out of the out of the water and what that tells consumers is, oh, I could spend $70 on, like, AAA, on, like, unfinished AAA crap, or I could spend 20 bucks on something 10 times as good. Yeah.
2: And honestly, like, screw the AAA crap. Like, I, I'm glad to see how much the indie, like, PC developer market has flourished in the past 10 years or so. I mean, it's more than that, but... There's a lot of great, great games for under 20 bucks out there now. Oh, absolutely. The thing is, like, also, like, yeah. back in
1: 2002 or whenever, like, the peak of this was, like, there wasn't as many platforms to promote these indie games. And this is, you know, something that's transforming a lot of industries, like the movie industry, too, where there's tools that give people, um, you know, the ability to make these games and promote them. Um, in ways that disrupt these kind of big juggernauts that own kind of like the means of distribution and advertising. And, you know, that you see that with the movie industry too. Like, yeah. indie studios are able to, like, everything, everywhere, all at once, like, winning best picture. And it was literally, like, edited at home on, like, Premiere Pro. And it's like, I feel like that gives me a little bit of hope. Yes. Yeah. You know, like, you know, democratization a yeah. little bit.
2: It does give me some hope too, that we do see some successes from those more distant yeah. corners of the market um, it gives me some hope like you know it's always hard to tell where things are going you know in media
0: well, and like all all the presence of these quality indie products is going to do is accelerate that cycle of like consumer yeah. distrust right
2: consumers are so exhausted right now i mean ct and i were just talking about this with tv even yesterday like how much we feel like we these days we just watch things to talk about it with people on discord was i think your your words yeah yeah and And it feels like
0: like there's this it's there's a lot of shit recently that i've watched just because i feel i felt like i needed something on in the background and it was something to talk about with people on the internet you know yeah it's like it didn't really grab my attention in any meaningful way you find something well-made, and it's like, oh my god, everything else is worse by comparison now. Like, why isn't everything like yeah, this? Truly, I find it,
1: like, depressing in some truly. ways of, like, like really, like, I spent, like, two hours watching that. Like, what did it add to my life other than just killing time for two hours? Like, it's like,
0: was it really that good, or am I just trying to yeah. find something to look at? I, I don't know. I think it it gives me hope, because I know that, like, good things are still out there you know? Yeah, of course. Like, yeah. May, maybe it's, it's hampered, but it's like, art is not dead. <laughs> it is like a post-apocalyptic
2: mentality. Like you've, you're sifting through the waste and you find that one remaining Hank Williams cassette, like in the la- that one last of us scene.
0: Right, right. It's like, yeah,
2: one spark of humanity in the, in the nothingness. Um, but another th- thing I wanted to mention that um, maybe is like obvious but that I saw, encountered a lot researching for this, is the the huge sea change that has happened in video game culture. Yeah, and 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 the culture of the United States and the UK in general, um, because a lot of these articles I was reading from like two thousand and two, two thousand and three, the tone is totally different. It's so obviously for yeah. a male centered audience. Yes, and just riddled with not just sexism, but forced sexism. Like, obviously performative sexism. Like, that's what the people want. You have to um, be more misogynist. Truly. And, like, to an incredible amount, like, when I read the Olsen's, the article about the Olsen's Twins in GameSpot, one of the Olson's Twins articles, um, the author could not go two sentences without <sighs> being pedophilic towards the Olsen Twins. Ew. Like, he... he he called them jailbait. And this is in <laughs> Fuck, 2003.
0: Bro.
2: Where, you know, this guy published his articles and the e- editor was like, yeah, sick. And this guy kept his job. Right. Can you right. imagine calling a child actor jailbait in the year 2023? Right. You would never have a job again. Yeah. People would like find out where you live. Yeah. Justly. Like, <laughs> this was a time where it was okay to like publicly announce like misogynistic and pedophilic comments, and people would be like, Yeah, bro,
0: that's not you gotta do more of this for marketing. Yeah, the early 2000s was just such yeah, that's a insane. disgusting
1: decade for media in general. I just like can't think about it. Like It's really it just terrible. reminds me of like when like Fear Factor was popular. It's just like, just like media was just so gross. Oh, and god, just, yeah, like, watching people yeah. eat bugs like that was literally like the entertainment.
0: It's one of these things where it's like, people are like, oh man, TV used to be so good. It's like, no, TV is like better than it has ever been. Somewhat
1: of ethical standards being imposed, like compared to like when I was watching TV, when I was like little, like there was just like terrible, disgusting stuff. And it
2: was like celebrated. Yeah. I mean, TV has definitely gone through ups and downs, but for a long time, it was on a downward slope through the early 2000s. Like, it, it, things got so much worse. Like, something about, I mean, honestly, I think it's because the Soviet <laughs> Union fell. And <laughs> no one, there was no longer a hope for any humanity uh, for communism. So, everyone was just fully indulging their capitalist greed. I, I think it's maybe <laughs> I, I, other I don't stuff put to vote. <laughs> <laughs> it could be that. Um, but I would like to, th- let's put, I, I would like to think it's because the true light of communism went out. <laughs> but yeah i don't know what it was about the 2000s that had terrible music terrible tv and a lot of really bad video and terrible games. movies too like yeah. it was a we were i grew up in a, a low yeah
0: a low point <laughs> for culture really oh man all right well i think that about wraps us up for this week uh, thank yeah, you I all think we're so done much here. for tuning in Bye. we will be back whenever we'll be back we love you Bye. we Bye. haven't Bye. written it yet. Bye. We love you. Big things are coming.